Hi, I'm James P. Friel. And I'm Dean Holland. It's time to fasten your seatbelts, boys and girls. That's right. If you're an entrepreneur who's wanting to take your business to the next level and have a bit of fun while getting cutting edge advice on your business, marketing, and sales, welcome to Just the Tips, arguably the best podcast in the entire world. I guess that's good, right? Yeah, that's good to me. All right. That was easy. That was the easiest thing we did all day. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Just the Tips. This is your host, James P. Friel. I'm excited that you guys are here with us today. Today, I have a very, very special guest. You might know him as the bearded wonder from the United Kingdom. I know him as the one, the only, Mr. Dean Holland. Welcome to the show. (laughs) Yeah. I thought you was going to say, I know him as the guy that just leaves books everywhere. (laughs) <laughs> That's true. You posted on Facebook. You're like, oh, look, all my new books are about to go out. And I saw like these boxes and boxes of books. I was like, wait a second. Are those all in my guest room? Because I'm pretty sure that's how many you left behind. <laughs> uh, I had a bit of fun just hiding books everywhere. You probably still haven't found them all. Well, yeah. And obviously, you're not going to tell me exactly how many you hid and left behind. But I think so far we found six or seven. Oh, nice. Yeah, I think it was maybe nine or 10, maybe. (laughs) Although maybe some people snuck off with some when they were over. I don't know. Who knows? Anyway, how are you doing, James? Yeah, I'm great, man. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm awesome. I'm looking forward to getting into the stuff we're going to talk about because you know, one of the funny things that happens with you and I is we're planning to do a show. And then before the show, we have a great conversation about stuff. And then we're like, so what do we want to talk about on the show today? But what we just said for the last 20 minutes would have made an amazing show for the guests. And this time we stopped ourselves, didn't we? We really need to talk about this. And what we were talking about, so we'll pull everybody else into the conversation, is really understanding how to plug the different holes in your marketing and in your sales, right? Because everybody out there is putting a tremendous amount of effort into creating content, creating sales funnels, creating products, creating all of these different things. And the truth is, maybe we're not always maximizing the value that we could be getting from the things that we're creating. Definitely, definitely. And I think, interestingly, you are probably one of the rare exceptions to the rule in what I'm about to say. So I'm going to apply this to everyone with you. Most people or most marketers, if you were to ask and say, hey, like, are you tracking your numbers? Do you know your numbers in your business? Most people would say yes, because they'd be embarrassed to tell you the truth. And I will confess, and I'm not talking about the focus of my little speech that I'm giving here isn't necessarily on like the financials as such, you know, like the things you were teaching me not too long ago when I was over at your house, like I'll be the first to say, I'm like, oh, I wasn't very smart on this side of things. What I've made huge leaps and bounds to improve upon over the last six months or so throughout the course of this year is really tracking and measuring and then reviewing all the specific data of each step of the business. You know, I think it's easy for us to say like, oh yeah, I know how many people clicked on my ad on Facebook this past month. I think like if you can understand the steps of the journey or the steps of the the sales process you're putting people through and then track all of those numbers and not just for a week or a month, but ongoing, What's becoming evident to me is like, as that time goes on and the longer you track, like how clear that information that you're already producing in your business anyway, how clear it starts to make to you 
where your focus should go, like where the holes are. And and for me, like, obviously, we're going to, I'm more than happy to just talk about all the numbers that I'm on about here as we go through the show. But like, when you start to see those numbers over a period of time, like it can be quite staggering. And the, you know, the interesting thing is then what you can do with that to improve and grow. Well, the numbers tell you a story. If you don't have the numbers, you don't know the story. And then you don't know what's next, right? So it's like you constantly have, you're putting things out into the world. Things are happening. People are clicking on things. People are buying things or they're not clicking on things. They're not buying things. And unless you have the ability to zoom in and zoom out on that information, it becomes difficult to say, well, what are we observing? And then what do we do as a result of that? And I feel like all too often, people put strategies together that are based on, well, I think this is a good idea or I feel like this is the right way to go. But it's not based on anything. It's just like, ah, it sounds like a good idea. And that, and I think half the time, maybe even more than half the time, people trying to get to a certain destination or a certain result in their business take the long road to get there simply because they don't have the numbers and they're not actually seeing the story unfold. Definitely. Definitely. And like you say, I think the perfect thing is, is like you are just taking a stab in the dark. You might think we need more traffic when actually... It's something further into the process that if you pull more traffic into, is just going to make the problem worse, right? Yeah, or it's certainly not going to give you the result that you want. And I think that's that's the danger of not really measuring and not really tracking and not looking at the trends as they're happening. And so maybe what, why don't you actually just jump right in and talk about the specific thing that we were just uh, chatting about before we got on the show? Yeah, for sure. So we've been doing throughout the course of this year, we've really started focusing a lot on learning and starting to grow with Facebook advertising. Now, you know, I'll be the first to say this is a fairly new thing for us. I'm talking three or four months. So I'm not proclaiming we're the world's greatest at this, but we've been spending, you know, a low, healthy five figures a month profitably on Facebook advertising. Now, in doing that, just to give a bit of backstory, I guess, just very vaguely, I've been in business for more than 10 years, but throughout that most of that time, all of our traffic has actually come from referrals, like from affiliates that we've compensated for commissions on sales they make. Obviously, you should always track things. I'll be honest, you know, there has been moments upon reflection where I didn't necessarily track as well as I should have done based on the fact that the traffic was just flowing a lot easier than it was just there, like money was just being made. Fantastic. But as we've now gone down this path, you know, we're spending a good chunk of money on our own advertising. We've started to now, we do it a very manual way. We've got all these spreadsheets and we're filling in all these kind of metrics, like how many people saw our ads, like impressions, how many people clicked through, how many add to carts we had, how many people purchased our, say our book, our free plus shipping offer. You know, from there, we have people go through a process where we follow up with them to get them to apply for a phone call for our next program. So how many people applied from the applications? How many were qualified from those? How many did we speak with? And then all the data that goes from there, how many did we close? You know, all those kind of things. And in the first like 30 days, you could see some data and it was just interesting. It was like, oh, that looks pretty cool. But now after three, four months of tracking that data, a really glaringly obvious statistic or data point started jumping out for me. And that's what I was just mentioning to you, James, before we started. And that is from all the last four months, from every customer that orders our book, which is just a free plus shipping offer. So it's a very low priced commitment at that stage. 
we get 11% of our customers currently actually filling an application. But here's the interesting thing. Every single application is submitted to us within a period of 12 days or less of that person actually ordering our book. And to put that in another context, that means not one person in that four months from those Facebook ads has applied or has expressed interest in working with us at a higher level beyond a period of 12 days. Meaning all of the people who are applying, it's happening within 12 days. And then after that, it's crickets. Exactly. And I would have never known that. Without tracking that, I could have thought, well, this is pretty fantastic. We're doing Facebook ads. You know, for every $1 we put in, we're getting $2.70 back or whatever it is, somewhere around that number. Like, fantastic. Let's just keep scaling up. But in reality, whilst yes, it's profitable, it could be and will be a lot better now that we're armed with that knowledge. And I think here's the interesting thing. As I went into the advertising, as we went into Facebook ads, I did actually, and this has just become so obvious to me now, I focused all my attention on how do I get my customers, these new customers to apply and ascend as fast as possible. And as I stepped back and I now I knew this piece of information, now I had this metric in my mind, I looked at it and I thought, oh my gosh, Like, look at what we're doing in the first week or so. I'll just share some context so people see here. When someone orders our book, within the first 48 hours, they receive a phone call from a member of my team. I literally went out when we were advertising. I employed a full-time member of staff that sits in my office five days a week only for that purpose because in my head, I asked, how do I ascend them as fast as possible? So I thought, let's call them. Let's give them a good experience. They order the book. We'll ring them and we'll say thank you. Then after another two days, he calls them back to see how you're getting on. Let me send you an invite to a webinar presentation. And at the end of that, they can apply. So like without going further and further here, my point being is that I had, without actually being consciously aware of it, I'd focused all of my efforts in that first seven to 10 days of having a new customer. And so it became glaringly obvious that now, now we know this, it's like we can now turn our attention to beyond that 12 days. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally makes sense. And that's the beauty of looking at that, right? Because otherwise, you know, everything that's happening up until that 12 days, and then after that, people just fall off a cliff. But there's a lot of value in those people still. They came to you for a specific reason in the first place, and they probably still have that same problem. But by not knowing that this is happening, you're kind of neglecting the fact that there might be another approach to re-engaging them and pulling them back in and creating solutions for them. And here's the interesting thing, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. One of the things that's starting to become evident to me, of course, and I say of course, but it wasn't to me for a while, you know, thinking back to what I just shared, that most of our traffic for eight, nine years came from other people referring us, you know, they're advising their audience to go and buy our product. What I've come to realize here is, is obviously it's a very, very different game when you are advertising to strangers, like what we'd call like cold traffic, right? And so here's the interesting thing is when you think about it, when you have somebody that's never been in contact with you, your brand, your business before, and they make a low risk purchase, such as just covering a $10 shipping and handling charge, let's say, that person doesn't yet probably have hardly any trust 
or relationship with you. They were just interested and curious about that offer that you made them. And they were willing to stump up 10 bucks to find out. And so like, interestingly, what my theory, and I think I'm maybe going to get this right, is actually the bulk of the profits will probably be found in that 90% of people that we're not doing a great enough job with because we didn't focus on how do we continually nurture and foster that relationship for a longer period of time to build that trust to get the majority of people to now feel comfortable to want to do more business. Do you see what I mean? Did I explain that correctly? Yeah, absolutely. Because everybody's at a different stage and you got to build that bridge for them to come and work with you, right? And then you make the point about, okay, we had all this you know, affiliate traffic and that's where a lot of people came from. And now you're doing advertising. And I would say even that gets sliced a little bit more granular when you say, what kind of advertising are we doing? Are we doing pattern interrupt advertising like Facebook and Instagram where people aren't necessarily seeking you out they're just scrolling and looking at their friends' dogs and birthday parties and stuff like that. And then there's your ad. And so they weren't looking for it, but you had some sort of curiosity hook that's good enough to get them to click. And then your sales copy kind of takes over from there and hopefully they buy from you. But that person is going to behave completely differently than somebody who is searching for something, right? And that's where you have Google search and even things like YouTube. It's where the intent-based advertising, right? Where people are are searching. And so I bet there's even some differences in the results that you're going to have based on those two populations because they fall on a different spot on the whole spectrum of their decision-making, right? And I think one of the things that is really helpful to think about when you're analyzing this sort of stuff is where in the customer's life cycle are they finding you and that particular thing that you're offering to them, right? Is it oh man, this is like a super big need. And so I'm going to go out, I'm going to search and I'm just going to buy the first thing that I have. Or all the way on the other side, the beginning of the spectrum is like, I don't even necessarily know about you. I might be aware that I have a certain problem, right? And this goes back to all of the amazing work from Eugene Schwartz and like breakthrough advertising and everything where it's like, okay, I'm problem aware. Maybe I'm not even solution aware, but I'm certainly not brand aware yet. And so there's different things that we have to do to build that bridge to get that person to go from interested to being our customer. Yeah, that's absolutely everything in this context, isn't it? I think that's really probably, in hindsight, like the biggest revelation in this. I mean, I know obviously we're talking a lot about tracking and getting to see where the holes are in your business to be able to plug them, but I think that's such a key thing. And that's what the numbers have given me the insight to understand better now. Like there will always be, I've always said this when we've, you know, for many, many years done phone sales. You know, my sales team will always tell me, they're like, Dean, there's always going to be that one or 2% that just buy regardless. You know, like we could do a terrible job on the phone. We could do a terrible job with this, but they're at that point of pain. The pain is so high and they're just ready to buy something that they hope will take the pain away that no matter what we do, unless we don't, unless we treat them bad, they're going to buy. But the problem is, is like, the bulk of the profit of your business, the bulk of the revenue is going to be found in the rest, in the other 98%. And I think that's that's really what this insight has shared with me. I'm getting, I've focused my energy and I've done very well with that small percent, but what about everybody else now? And that's what the numbers have shown. Well, and I think that's it, right? You know, you can do well with that small percent, but if you understand the, the whole buying cycle 
that people have in their journey to choose and then their journey to buy and then their journey to use your product or service, that's where you really start you know, picking up a lot more cash because you're speaking to people where they're at. And just to go back to this whole concept of looking at the numbers and tracking and everything else like that, I created a framework really long time ago, probably like 10 years ago at least, when I was still in my corporate role at HSBC. Wait, you created a framework? I know. I know you're surprised to hear that. You're usually the most unorganized, messy person that I've ever met, surely. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Well, I make sense of the world through frameworks. And then once I have a framework that sort of fits, then then I try and line it up against reality. And then if it works, then I run with it because it's easier for me to collect my thoughts and sort them through frameworks and stuff. But the thing that I noticed, I was at the time running a digital strategy for this big bank. And I had a meeting with these guys that were running the e-com side of things for the Hong Kong bank. And I sat there, I remember like clear as day, I was sitting in the lobby of Mandarin Oriental in Hong Kong with the e-com guy who was in charge of the entire operation there. I said, okay, what's our ROI on our Google ad spend? And he put down his cup of tea and leaned in and embarrassingly said to me, we have no idea. I was like, what? I was like, you're kidding me. I was like, how much are we spending? He's like, oh, we're spending millions of dollars. <laughs> I said, wait a second here. You're telling me we don't really know what the ROI that we're getting on that ad spend. And he's, he's like, yeah, we kind of maybe have an idea, but we really don't know for sure. And so I was just so blown away by this. And that began this entire change initiative to establish tracking and then establish analysis. And then you can do optimization once you have those things in place. But the framework is, and I draw it out as a pyramid, and it's three steps. And at the bottom of the pyramid, you have data. And the data is what you need in order to ultimately be able to make good decisions. So you've got to get clean data. You've got to get accurate data. You have to figure out you know, how frequently do we need to be reporting on this data, right? One of the things that you said when you were looking at all this stuff is you were tracking clicks and you were tracking you know, sales and you were tracking this, that, and the other thing. And that's the first step because if you don't have good data, it just doesn't matter. You're still going to be flying by the seat of your pants. And today, thankfully, more than ever, it's easier and easier to get the data that you want because there's so many tools that are available to either aggregate it or report on it and anything else like that. But I think a lot of people- I would just throw a little thing in as well because I'll tell you one of the things that probably used to, thinking back, like- Probably one of the reasons I didn't do it in the past is that I maybe had this like belief in my head that, oh, it sounds complicated to start tracking and I'm not really sure how to use the technology. I mean, there are tracking softwares now and anytime you ask someone, they'll say like, this is the one you should use, but boy, is it hard to set up. Like I would just say like, if you're not tracking anything now, like I think I mentioned it, like we're doing a very manual process. I have a Google doc and every day somebody fills it in. Like (laughs) it doesn't have to be complex. No, it doesn't have to be complex. And I think that's a really important thing for everybody to understand is don't make it complex, right? If it's going to be complex, you're probably not going to do it or the cost of doing it is going to be so high that you're not going to want to do it. So don't unnecessarily track data, right? Like you could get so carried away with this. You know, there's always two sides of the spectrum to everything. And on one side, you've got people who are like, I'm not even going to look at any numbers. I'm not going to look at any data because I don't want to, or it's a pain in the ass, or I just, I'm just i better flying by the seat of my pants. 
or whatever. And then on the other side, you've got people who are tracking the most ridiculous minutiae details of everything, and it's not meaningful. And so you have to decide for yourself what you should be tracking. And sometimes that takes a little bit of calibration. But the important thing is that there is some mechanism for tracking in place, even if it is as simple as having somebody or even you writing that information down in a spreadsheet or even on a whiteboard or on a sheet of paper or whatever it is. It's, you're creating a log right, of what's happened. And that is important because the second step in this framework is that you want to take that data and you want to turn it into information. And the difference between information and data is that information presents the data in a way that allows you to start making interpretations. You're looking at things like trends. You're looking at graphs. You're looking at, well, are these numbers going up? Are they going down? Like, what are these numbers telling us? Right? Right. You're saying like the difference between, you know, the data was how many buyers, how many applications, how many days did it take them to apply? How many this, that, and that. But the information was, oh crap, nobody applies beyond a period of 12 days. Right. You string data together long enough and then you can start interpreting information from it, right? In isolation, if you're like, okay, today we had 50 buyers, I have no idea whether that's good or bad. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Great point. Like like zero idea. But if I had 500 buyers yesterday and now I only have 50 today, then I know that there's a steep decline and that's a downward trend or the opposite would be true. Yeah. And so data in isolation is very pointless until you start allowing yourself to see it over time and turning it into charts and graphs that provide reports. And from those reports and those charts and those graphs, you get to the top level of the pyramid, which is actionable intelligence. So once we interpret the information, we say, okay, wow, this is a really interesting insight. This is an interesting finding that nobody is applying after 12 days. Now we get to ask ourselves, what do we do about it? And that's when we take action. And that's when we say, okay, well, we're going to have this initiative inside of the company for the next 30 days, for the next 60 days to target getting more people to apply after day 12. And then because you're consistently tracking the data and turning it into information, after 30 days, now you can go back and you can say, okay, is this having the intended effect on the result that we're trying to achieve? And you can measure and contrast between what you were doing before and what you're doing now based on the actions that you're taking. Because until you can create cause and effect, it's very haphazard. You have to be able to know when we do this, this happens. And in the absence of data or information, you never really get to that point. And I'd say most people, including big, gigantic organizations, stay stuck because they're not taking things to that top level where they're interpreting the information actually turning into actions. Right. You know, (laughs) I was just almost laughing to myself then. I'm like, huh, I thought when I was explaining it, I sounded super intelligent. And then you started talking, my friend. (laughs) I hope it makes sense because it's something that I've been doing for a long time and you always run the risk of making it, you know. No, 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 no. I think it does make sense. And you know what I look like? We joke and things, but I love your frameworks and I love the methodology and the brain power, the thinking that goes behind them. Was it Apple or Steve Jobs when they launched like the iPhone or something? There was this whole concept. I'm sure it was Apple where it was like, we have an app for that. You want to do this? We have an app for that. 
I feel like you're the guy that's like, oh, you want to talk about tracking data? I have a framework for that. Oh, you want to talk about team? I have a framework for that. <laughs> <laughs> you're that guy. I love it. <laughs> it's easier to fill in the boxes when you know what the boxes are. It is. Because I, I feel like in my head, I'm like, I've got this information. I'm trying to convey it here. But then like you take a framework and you've just taken all this information that I think I'm making sense of, put into a framework now actually makes complete sense. So I, I love it. That's awesome. Right. And then you're just saying, okay, where are we at on that level, right? Or is this a data collection thing? Yeah. Are we turning that data into information? Or now do we get to use that and create actions and, and actually make changes? Right, definitely. And would you would you agree in like one of the things that I guess that I've seen, and I think this has only really happened in the last month. So again, it's not this hasn't been going on for a long, long time. So I'd love to ask on this. Like I don't feel that the information I've just shared, like, oh my gosh, it's become evident nobody applies after 12 days. Is it a case of, and I'm I'm asking you here, like, is it a case of the longer you track and the more continual you track, the more of those holes you find? Like, I think the word would be like significant. Does the data become more significant the longer you track it? I think it does, but that shouldn't stop people from making decisions early on. Well, I guess that would be a good question. What would be your thought on that? Like, how soon should somebody make a decision? Like, if I were if I were tracking my stuff for 30 days, is that enough to then say, oh, crap, like, we should make a decision now? Or should you track longer before you make a decision? There's going to be purists here who disagree with what I say. But I think the thing here is, when I believe that I have a 70% confidence in the conclusion that I'm drawing from the data, I'm willing to take an action on it. I don't need it to be at 100%. So you're not looking necessarily for absolute certainty. You're looking for a majority that like there's a good probability of this being correct. That's right. The truth is there is no absolute certainty with anything. But thinking that you have to get to a point where you're absolutely certain, that's counterproductive because that's really going to slow you down. And you've got to be kind of balancing a number of things to say, okay, if I have X percent confidence in the information and the actions that I'm about to take, is it worth it? Right? Is it worth the amount of effort and resource and everything that we're going to put into this to see if we're right? And at the end of the day, everything is sort of experimental on many levels. And so for me, if I have you know around a 70% confidence that we're clear on what the data is telling us, then I'm going to take an action on it. If it's something where the risk of doing it wrong is catastrophic, then you're going to want a much higher degree of confidence in it, right? And so it sort of depends- whole company on a 50-50. But you might risk like, oh, we might lose $500 this next week on ads if we get this wrong. Right. If we might risk losing $500 on ads, then maybe I don't even need a 70% confidence. Because for me, a 10% confidence might be worth taking a chance on $500 in ads. But that's also risk appetite, and that's different from everybody. And a lot of this I learned when I was doing stock options and currency trading which had to do with how you size the position that you're actually putting out into the market. So for example, if you have a portfolio and your portfolio is worth $100,000 and you have a trade that you're going to get into, you probably don't want to risk more than a certain percentage of your entire portfolio on that trade because the trade could go wrong. And so the way that I think about this is how much am I willing to risk to find out if I'm correct? And sometimes I need a higher degree of confidence and sometimes I need a lower degree of confidence depending on what the actual risk is. 
No, I think that's amazing. I think this show will definitely have appealed to a particular type of person, maybe. Maybe some people listening to this would be like, ah, oh, they're talking numbers. I, I don't want to do this. But I think everybody listening needs to do this. And so, like, I know, obviously, we're kind of probably nearing the end of the show. But I think it would be awesome if you think we could do it to, like, just give people, maybe everybody, like, the quick bullet point recap of the steps that they can take from here if they're not tracking or they don't feel they're doing the job properly. Like, where does somebody start then? So do, would you agree that the first step here now is to figure out what are the most important things for them to start tracking? Would that be, like, step one? Definitely, that would be step one. And I would think about it in terms of the different stages that something is going through. And in this case, what you were talking about are the stages that somebody's going through from seeing an ad all the way to applying for your higher ticket programs. So what are the distinct stages there? So they see an ad, they click on the ad, they go to the page, they opt in, they opt in, then they buy. Then they once they buy, then they take the upsell. Once they take the upsell, then they then they apply for the high ticket program. So understanding the different stages, I think, is what makes everything like this manageable. We don't want to be tracking everything. So keep it super high level to begin with and only start tracking the data that you know that you can start tracking consistently. Because if you can't do it consistently, it's not going to work. So zoom out until you have a level at which you can do it consistently and then just start tracking there. Okay, cool. That makes total sense. Okay, so step one, everybody, you're going to now look at that customer journey, look at that process that you're putting people through, figure out the key points of that, and then what are the key metrics to track within that realm? Okay, so now somebody's doing that, then what do we say? Now, after a period of time, you know, maybe it's a week, maybe it's two weeks, maybe it's a month, we want to become familiar with these numbers, right? We want to be able to detect changes and trends. We want to be able to see percentages and things like that. And so I would say, after you start collecting, be analyzing things. Look at things on whatever interval you feel gives you a complete picture, right? Because certain things could have fluctuations, right? Like I know in our, in many of our ad campaigns, you know, we see a variety of different results based on the day of the week. Sometimes we get like tons of people on one day, but we don't get a ton of people on the next day if I'm so micro-focused on, oh my God, like things aren't going right day to day, then I might make bad decisions. So you might need to zoom out to say, okay, well, like, are these trends typical? Are they normal? And I think that's the next step is analyzing things so that you start to understand the behavior that you're seeing from the data. Yeah, definitely. And I, I would say, based on what I've seen as I've been doing this over the last few months, like depending on the stage that you're actually looking at, some of the numbers... And some of the data you're collecting, especially if you're only just going to start doing this now, like if this is a new thing you're about to start implementing based on listening to this, some of the numbers you're going to see will probably surprise you and you will immediately see rather quick action steps that you can take to improve. So yeah, this is, this is amazing. It's confirming the things I'm doing. So I'm asking these questions to help me. So I hope the listeners are enjoying it as well. <laughs> well, I know this is some nerdy stuff, right? But it's the stuff that probably make some of the biggest differences. You know, like I told you, like if I can just get more people, for example, to apply after 12 days, it could literally double or more the profits of the business. Like, and I don't actually, now I have that information. I don't actually think that's going to be too difficult to do. Yeah, that's exactly right. And this is where 
everybody will look from the outside and be like, oh man, like it seems like you're not working very hard. And you can work a lot less hard if you're working smart and you're precise. You know, you see what's happening and then you just adjust course instead of doing everything just like by sheer willpower and brute force, which is exhausting. Right. Yeah, for sure. Would you say then like, so we don't geek people out too much, like for anybody listening that's not yet tracking anything or not enough and like everybody listening only knows the answer to that themselves. Like I would say even those taking those first two steps now is going to put you miles ahead of where you are. Like it's going to make you feel more empowered and more data driven in your business. Like figuring out the stages that you're putting people through, the stages of whatever it is that you're now going to start tracking, such as your sales process, and then starting to review that data. And then like you said, with the pyramid thing is then taking that data and figuring out which are the most important action steps to take on that. Yeah, that's right. And I would say, you know, if you're starting out, don't make some crazy goal like, oh, I'm going to start tracking everything. I'm going to track my marketing stuff. I'm going to track my sales stuff. Like, uh, you're not. You got to develop this over time. Focus in on one key area and keep it simple and keep it at a high level and start there with what you can do consistently and get some return on that effort and then reinvest into some other area. And over time, your entire organization will be well-tracked. But this is something that never ends. As companies grow and things change, all these different variables and stuff. So don't overwhelm yourself with thinking that you have to do everything right at the get-go. Yeah, definitely. And and I, I can tell you firsthand, everybody should take that last piece on board because here's one of the things I did, right? So like we just said, okay, step one, figure out the stages, then figure out what the key numbers are within those stages. Do you know what I did when I first started doing this? is I went, okay, I'm going to start tracking the ads. Then what happens on the landing page? Then this, then this. And then, but what that ended is I went, okay, what is every metric that is happening within the Facebook ads? So the first iteration of my my spreadsheet, my Google Doc is like, okay, impressions. Is this, is that, is this, is that? And I'm not saying like some of these things aren't important, but you know, when I'm looking now to make decisions, I've never once looked down the column that's called impressions. Like, I'm sure maybe there's a point in future where that will become more important to me. But like, I'm literally looking at just these few key numbers now. I'm like, okay, how many people clicked our ad? How many people opted in after that? Like, there's just, there's probably like a handful of key numbers that have enabled me to make, you know, good, solid decisions now. So just, like, I just got to stress, like, don't overcomplicate this, especially at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So on that note, I think we'll leave people with that. Yeah. Ride some brains here today. What do you think? I don't know. I'm always a little bit reluctant to kind of get into stuff like this because I don't want to fry people's brains. But at the same time, you have a secret love for it. No, I very much... This is like one of my love languages, all of this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> James is like, screw taking me out on a date. Send me a spreadsheet now. No, for real. Like I like understanding how things work and measuring things helps me understand how things work. <laughs> yeah, but no, I, I love it. Even if people like aren't in that same way, if that's not the same love language as such, like I think everybody understands the importance of it. And I think everybody understands they should be doing it and need to be doing it. But a lot of people, maybe if you're like me, you just don't know where to start doing it. And when you start doing it, maybe you overcomplicate it. So it feels so tough that then you get put off. Yeah. And that's the other thing. Like, You don't have to be the person who loves to do this in order to benefit from it. You can easily go out and you can hire a business analyst, even on a contract basis, 
to come in and like help you set up some frameworks that will enable you to collect the right stuff, analyze it, make decisions based on it. So like this does not have to be your wheelhouse. You just have to recognize that making decisions based on data is going to be far superior than not. And so take a step in that direction regardless of whether it's, you know, starting to track some things on your own, going out and finding somebody, partnering with somebody, somebody who can really help you understand what's happening because it's going to make massive difference inside the business when you know what's happening, then you know what to adjust and you can get to your goals and your results faster. Right. And James, I'm going to be like a seamless plugger right now. If somebody wants to hire somebody else to help in this area, but they don't know how to start, where should they go? That's right. Well, it turns out I have a hiring course. Oh, shoot. Yes. Hiring like a boss. So you could go to jamespfreel.com forward slash hiring and get all of the information laid out in very explicit detail on how to find the right people, how to hire them, how to onboard them, how to manage them, absolutely everything. So thank you for the plug, Mr. Dean Holland. Yeah. James going to be like, if you're going to plug, at least warn me so I can be prepared for this. Like, no, throw it in there. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, well, what a fascinating conversation, at least for me. I hope you guys enjoyed this. Write in and let us know. I mean, if you want us to talk about more stuff like this, I'm happy to do it. I could talk about this stuff all day long. But yeah, congratulations on figuring that stuff out, Dean. And let's regroup on this at some point after you've implemented some things and actually tell people what the results were from going through this process because I think that would be really cool. Yeah, definitely. We'll do a uh, we'll do a quarterly check-in on this kind of stuff. That'd be cool. All right. Sounds good. All right. Well, thanks, you guys, for listening today. We appreciate you. And make sure you're uh, leaving us a review and tell your friends and family about us. And we will catch you on the next episode. Later, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Just the Tips, where we believe business should be profitable and fun. For show notes, links, and other information on our guests, visit justthetipshow.com. For more information on how to connect with Dean Holland, visit deanholland.com. And if you'd like to get free from the day-to-day operations of your business while making more money, visit me at jamespfreel.com. Our theme music is Happy Happy Game Show by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 License.